Hi, Rich. Yeah. Welcome to GG in the 561. Thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. Um, we have a lot to talk about, and but first, I want to tell my listeners here on GG in the 561 a little bit about you. So if you have some coffee ready, everyone, grab it, because it's going to take me a second here. <laughs> you in our time in Fort Worth and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Rich Highland, my guest today, is a former newspaper reporter, editor, and publisher. He was part of a Pulitzer Prize winning team. He taught journalism at Western Illinois University and leadership at Woodbury College in Vermont. For nearly 20 years, he operated an international consulting, speaking, and training business specializing in customer service, general management, leadership, and staff development for clients such as New York Life, General Motors, Apple, Honeywell, Hewlett-Packard, Applied Materials, the American Red Cross, several banks, the hospitality area. He was the Kleinman Performance Network Facilitator and Consultant for over 15 years. He currently lives with his wife in Huntsville, Texas, which is just north of the greater Houston area. Okay, now I'm worn out, Rich. (laughs) Yeah, you might add, in in Huntsville, Texas, where we're having an ice storm, uh, and a lot of people don't have power and water, uh, welcome to the Third World Republic of Texas. Texas is in the news a lot, and all for the wrong reasons. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's moving. We're moving March fourth to Westchester, Pennsylvania. Do you think you'll be sought out by then? <laughs> well, actually, yes. And as I like to tell people, we're we're leaving the Confederate States of America to go back to the United States of America. So I hope that doesn't offend any listeners. Our son lives in Westchester, so we're in the middle of old age downsizing and relocating it's it's a big job moving is huge and um, trying to decide what to take what not to take um you're as i just obviously revealed in my introduction your career has so many paths and it's you have gone and you've had such a, a, a fantastic journey and uh our time together, and I'm not even going to say how long ago that was, right, that uh, I, I will just say to the listeners that I was fortunate enough to be in a, in a group being trained by my guests today, and I have to say the training and, and just um, the principles that, that uh, you shared with me today. And I, in business and in life, and I continued, I have continued to utilize those, Rich, and to share those with many, many others. So um, I was a a people that that listened and really paid attention. But that's just who you are in your life. And anyone that wants to Google this man, please do so, Rich Highland, H-E-I-L-A-N-D, because... um, you you have written some astonishing pieces, and I want to start with one very significant. In 1975 in Zinnia, Ohio, did I say Zinnia right? Yeah, it was actually the tornado was April 3rd, 1974. Okay. Uh, which was a Wednesday afternoon. It did at 4.41 p.m. Not that my memories are that vivid, but... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that story 
Um, I actually read it on the Pulitzer page, uh, is something that gave me chills. Your, your writing uh, of, of your experience that day, Rich, where you were working for the paper, you were, uh, you were in it, you were actually in, in the tornado, but more importantly, your family really, it was a case of you didn't know what you were going to find in your house had such destruction, but your family was okay. And, and it, it just, it, it really, it's, it's just a wonderful piece. Well, thank you. That was, uh, that, that was kind of a singular experience. Uh, and one that when I got up that morning, I certainly never anticipated. And you're right. Uh, I was at the newspaper office. My wife, who was just getting ready to enter law school the next fall, was at home with our kids. Uh, our daughter was like four and a half, and our son was six weeks old. And I knew the tornado was coming, and I called and warned them, and they got into the utility closet in the middle of our small starter home, slab home. And Connie laid on top of both kids, and uh, a lot of the house blew away, but because I had sent them to short wall construction, which is a tip if you live in the slab, if you have a tornado warning, go to short wall construction areas because they tend not to whip around in the wind. And mm-hmm. they survived. But when I, I, had to, I had to walk about a half mile when I finally got home a couple hours after the storm. And I saw the house and I just stopped. I, I just assumed I'd lost my family. And then a neighbor, I just remember a neighbor yelling, they're okay. And they were in a neighbor's house. And so after that, uh, the rest of it was pretty easy, not easy to bear. But once I saw they were okay, then Mm -hmm. I kind of focused on getting back to work. And the article you mentioned was we drove them down to my folks' house in Wilmington, Ohio, which was about 20 miles away, and I came back. And we had no power. We'd lost the third floor off of our uh, newspaper building and the roof. And the press crew was up there. We couldn't print. They were up there stringing tarps. And I wrote that story in the newsroom with a flashlight, a candle, and an umbrella over my shoulder with rain coming in on a manual typewriter. Which oh, is rich. Wow. Which is interesting because we could work because without electricity because this was back in the dark ages of manual typewriters. Yeah. I, I don't know that we could have published the paper as effectively as we did um, today because we we typed all our stories and drove them to a sister paper about 40 miles away and had it printed and then brought back. And so we actually hit the streets on time the next day. Unbelievable. Uh, I, I don't think I said the name of the paper. It's the, the Zinnia yeah, Daily. Cause the Zinnia Daily Gazette. And, yeah. And I, I do want to stress that, you know, I kind of gently correct people when they say I want to feel surprised because while I did a lot of the lead writing and it tends to be viewed as a journalism award, when we accepted it as a paper, we accepted it on behalf of all 75 full and part-time employees because everybody everybody added. I mean, I mentioned we had the press crew up on the roof hanging tarp because they didn't have a press to use. Uh, ad reps were out finding out what businesses were still around. Our circulation department was out finding out what neighborhoods were around. So, uh, you know, everybody, uh, it just shows what happens. We had phenomenal leadership. We had a great publisher, a great editor. So it really, 
you've heard in the old days we talk about the power of teamwork and, and mm-hmm. bringing people together. And this was uh, just a textbook example of what happens when you have gutsy uh, leadership and you just have everybody bought into a mission, which was publishing a paper. And many of these people, I wasn't the only one that lost a home. So many of these people were going through tremendous hardships. So I always like to make sure they all get credit for it. Well, and one thing I also thought was impressive in in reading about this was um, because of what you just said, the publisher took the money, the Pulitzer Prize money, and had uh, something made for for everyone. Is that right? Yeah, it was kind of like a big pewter plate that has a etching of a funnel on it and the information and then uh, that we had won the Pulitzer. And it's interesting because there actually is not a Pulitzer Prize. You get a letter, kind of like a certificate, and whatever the money was, I forget. There's not some great big, like, uh, a trophy, marble trophy. No, it's just, it's just kind of the honor. So we had those made, and I know we made seventy of them. And that's what the money went for, and everybody uh, got one of those. In fact, mine, I just took it out of the shadow box to pack it for the move, and it's. Oh no! I was going to ask you to take a picture of it so we could put it with your page that we're going to do for on our website. Okay, well. well. Maybe you, maybe you'll, you know, when you move, you can send it to us. Um, one thing, one addendum to that story that I love, 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 um, the dog, Baron, was missing. <laughs> the dog yeah. was missing, but tell us what happened. We got him back about two weeks later. Um, he was a Doberman Pinscher, great dog, and uh, he apparently just survived in the neighborhood. Our dog catcher at the time was a guy named Henry Pant, P-A-N-T, which we thought was fitting. And I was sitting, <laughs> yeah, it is. I was sitting in the newsroom, and I heard over the police scanner, I heard Henry say, hey, I get a hold of Rich at the Gazette. I think we got his dog out here, and he gave the address. So I hopped in my – I had a VW Bug at the time, and I hopped in that and drove out. And my dog actually heard the bug. He knew the car. And he came running over, and he's a little skinny. And some of the people out there said he would not come to him because one of the things I – one other part of my past was – I worked for a dog training school, and and I still do kind of train dogs for people. And I had him train not to, to accept food or anything from anybody but family. It's a way to prevent your dogs from being poisoned. Uh-huh. And so he, he people, people would put food out on slabs and then leave. And he would come over later and get it, but he wouldn't go to anybody. Oh, good training. So he survived. Well, I loved that part. I loved that part of the story. I want to talk a little bit, if you don't mind, if you will. Um, This piece was like a 29-pager, but the gift, vision, hope, and life beyond COVID, and I encourage people to go and find it. But one thing that I I liked in particular in the introduction to that of the gift, uh, and I want to read it to everybody, because I, I think it's, it's, uh, it says so much in a few words. The Chinese used two brush strokes to write the word crisis. One brush stroke stands for danger, the other for opportunity. In a crisis, be aware of the danger, but recognize the opportunity. And that is a quote by John F. Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States. And I, I thought that so significant 
right now, but this piece that that you wrote, the gift, is I think it's very helpful, and I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. How did you how did you come up with with, with so much? I mean, it's 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 it has real real meat to it. Well. I, you know, I think part of it is you, you sit around and feel sorry for yourself and contemplate how awful life is, you know, because of everything you're being deprived of. And then you go, oh, wait a minute, you know, come on. Uh, I've got a lot more than a lot of other people. And and we went to uh, Africa uh, over Christmas and uh to basically a third world country where our daughter works at, at the U.S. Embassy. And so when you you really look at that stuff um, that other people go through, you think your your life's not that bad. And so one of the things that, you know, I was thinking about in COVID was uh, I've really gotten some positive things out of it. Uh, you know, I've spent more time with my wife uninterrupted than I probably have at any stretch during my life. I, I've come to value friends, even if I'm only uh, uh, getting with them on the phone and everything. And I did mention, you know, the fact that I've had depression and, and I've coped through medication, counseling, um, and, and meditation and everything. Mm-hmm. And I kind of came to the realization that what I've done in the past, it doesn't work during COVID. I mean, I'm an old guy. I'm 74 years old now. Um, and so I just decided to be a realist. So in, 19, in 2021, I just said, okay, I'm going to insulate myself in a positive and kind of selfish way from situations where I know there's a potential to end up being a person who doesn't add to life. And it's part of why we're moving. Um, just to get into an environment where we can take care of ourselves. A friend of mine has a process that he does called clarity, and one of their concepts is something called sacred selfishness. And that's the time that you take to work on yourself to make sure that you're okay, because if you're not okay, you're really not of much use to anybody else. So you're not being selfish when you take care of yourself. Um, You're actually being giving. And so my whole thing with COVID was just kind of a reflective thing since I had all this time to think that, yeah, life can still be pretty good, but even at our age, you kind of have to take charge of life to make that happen. And right. we never we thought we would you know, spend all of our days in Texas, there, in spite of my, my comments politically. There's a lot we love about this state. <laughs> we, we really like a lot about Texas. Uh, yeah. It's an amazing place. And so we never thought we'd leave, but here we are, packing up to leave. And part of that was just kind of this uh, looking at everything about COVID and what was happening to people and realizing, kind of revisiting what is important to us, at least at this point in life, when, you know, we're not dead yet, but we can sure, we know there's an end line out there now. It's no. not like 30 no. years ago and you're going to live forever. Yeah. And so it was just kind of a lot of reflection and realization that, you know, if we wanted to live a certain way, we, when this all was past us and we can get out and go again, we needed to kind of take charge of that. Well, I encourage everyone to read it because it's uh, – and at the end, we're, we'll talk about how people can find a lot of your stuff because it's all good. It's all excellent. And um, I 
I really think now more than I think really in my lifetime, it's just been this last year has just been like you just said, it's it's been uh, so different and a time to reflect on really what is important and, and it's kind of what makes you tick. And one of the things that I like so much about your work and, and just what you, like many, many years ago when I sat in a class and, and was fortunate enough to, to learn from you, uh, the core values that, that you speak of and how we live by those core values and your primary aim of compassion and honesty and creativity and sharing, your personal roadmap, and I'm semi, semi, I'm paraphrasing you here, but I just, I think that just stands out so much now to me more than ever. And, and so that's why one of the reasons I really appreciate you coming on because I happen to think all of that is, it's more important. It's not about the big house that you have or the, you know, the car you drive or anything else. It's, it's um, what you believe in yourself and, and kind of what you will, what you're, I think it's one thing that you said about someone asked you uh, if, if something went against your core values, would you quit, quit a job and get up and leave? And, and your response to that was excellent because you said, no, I wouldn't necessarily do that at that moment. Again, I'm paraphrasing. Thank you for your patience about that, risk. But you are, you would be working toward it. You would be working toward that door. And, yeah. and I just thought that was such a, a great way to put that because you weren't going to, you know, you weren't going to stay there forever if it really went against against you. And and I think in so much of your writing, and you do put yourself out there, and some of the things that that you write, you will get you will get blowback on. I've I've read a few of the comments uh, politically that, that you will write something, and then you will get criticized for that. And you're you just you handle all of that. So, so beautifully and tactfully, and I appreciate that in you. Well, I, I when I get the negative blowback, I just I just go out on the back patio and I scream curses into the wind, <laughs> and, I, and I come back in and try to answer like a reasonable, compassionate adult. <laughs> you know, and of the- I don't answer. I mean, there's some criticisms you just don't answer equitably. But, you know, you talk about the core values. I mean, nobody's perfect. I have my primary aim, which is basically to help bring peace and beauty to things and help people. And I don't live up to it every day. But the nice, the, the thing about having things like a primary aim and a core value is they're there. And so when you don't live up to them, you know it and you've got to own it. And you have to kind of check back in and say, oops, what just happened? And when I teach this stuff, and, and I think this is what you're remembering, I can't remember exactly which workshop you were in, but um, the the thing I say about the core values when you when you're faced with things that conflict with them, look, the reality is most of us just can't quit a job on the spot and walk out. We got kids, we got rent, we got mortgages, we got all that. But my phrase is, you can't walk out then, but you should sure be looking for the door. Yeah. And making an exit strategy and start looking because you cannot stay long term in a place where your core values are violated and you're being forced to act in ways that are ethically and morally dishonest to you. You can't emotionally survive that. And I cannot agree more. Yeah. So, and if more, and this applies to businesses. 
too. It's not just that uh, people have to have core values. One of the things I try to work with businesses with is to create the business's core values, that these are the things we will and won't do as, as a business. And I think when you look at a lot of what's going on in this country right now, uh, the lack of that is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. I like one thing in particular that you also include is that you're not going to succeed necessarily every day at all of these things you wish to be. And you give everyone an out to fail, and you put that down in black and white. It's like we are going to fail, and but that's okay. It's like just press on and just, yeah. you know, yeah. Well, so. failure is failure is okay, and making mistakes is okay. When I used to do job interviews with people, there'd come a point after I had them kind of relaxed and thinking I was a nice guy, where I'd ask a loaded question. I'd say, okay, I want you to tell me about the absolute worst time in your life that you screwed up, the biggest screw up where you did something so wrong that it was like, oh, my God, how am I going to get out of this? And if somebody looks at me and says, I can't really think of anything that bad, the interview is basically over because, one, I'm going to assume they're lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hire liars. Or even worse, in a way, I'm going to assume, well, that means they've never tried anything. And I never wanted people working with or for me who weren't afraid to roll the dice and make mistakes. It's a learning experience, and you don't grow without it. And so failure is okay, but you have to admit it. You've got to own it. You've got to say, okay, what just happened? What did I learn from this? And how do I keep it from happening again? Yeah. Um, if you will, talk just a little bit about another thing that I found very, very compelling uh, that you wrote. Uh, well, you wrote before uh, a, a paper, When Disaster Strikes. Yes. Uh, with Judith Lee, who is a Kleinman director, so we'll give credit there. But then you you kind of uh, kind of refreshed all of that because that was when disaster strikes in the way in, for businesses and so forth for fires and floods and ill health and weather d- disasters, but not for what we're in now. And you sort of updated all of that in a, a really profound way. Yeah. Well, it's. Uh... Yeah, businesses a lot of times don't have plans, and, and we did a program with Kleinman several years ago, and this is what you're talking about, where uh, there's a guy that actually created this program, but he wasn't a real great presenter, so we took it with his permission and modified it, and I did the presentations and, and wrote the thing with Judith. And basically, you know, it's not just preparing for disasters, it's preparing for, like, death. I mean, how many times, particularly in a small business, does a business owner have a heart attack, die suddenly, and nobody knows where the keys are, nobody knows what the bank account is, nobody knows where the passwords are, nobody knows where the insurance policies are. So we went through a whole planning thing where we help clients create all of that so that it's left for not just your spouse or significant other, but for your key people in your company. so that they can carry on and then of course the physical part of it with floods and everything was like what do you need to be thinking about before a natural disaster hits do you have already know a contractor that will give you top priority um you know things like that Uh, do you what would you do if you had to temporarily 
relocate. And I just worked with a Kleinman client, an optometrist in Tennessee, who lost his building in a tornado. And we went through all this with him, helping him relocate. And then he got relocated, had his grand opening in his new temporary location, March 1 of 2020. And then guess what, Hitty? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. called and he said, okay, do you have a plan for this? Because, <laughs> you know, pandemic really wasn't on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Already so we're doing a little modification. We're doing a little modification. Uh. Oh, Rich, you just, um, I could spend a lot of time with you because, like I said before, you have so many roadways from your your center, and then they just splinter off all around you in so many ways. Will you continue when you make your move? Will you continue to write? Uh, Will you continue to? Yeah, definitely my brain is going with me, and I do want, in case anybody on the call is interested, I started emptying my brain not just to be mine. I mean, it's got several sections to it. One's politics, and I didn't tend to be progressive. Uh, but it was designed for other people to write on. And I do have two or three people who contribute somewhat regularly. And it, yeah, poetry, fiction, it, it, I, it hasn't gotten any traction, but I really, you look at the tagline on, on the thing, and it, it, it basically says, emptying my brain, a place for writers to share and readers to read. So we welcome uh, columns, essays uh, of all kinds. I've got things, all things spiritual, beware politics, good eats, poetry, the planet and nature, travel, even adult fiction. That's vast. I, I do like your title, Beware Politics. I love that. <laughs> well, I felt like I owe it to people because I, I, I kind of want people to feel welcome to come, if, if I get contributors, to come and participate in other parts of the page and not be put off by my politics. So Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, let's talk about how people can find you. Uh, empty My Brain is, it, what, is yeah. what he's just talking about. So that's one place. Well, it's actually Empty Ing. It's a Jared. E-M-P-T-Y-I-N-G-M-Y-B-R-A-I-N. Okay, perfect. Allonephrase.com. Okay, excellent. And like I said before, you can if you Google Rich H-E-I-L-A-N-D, it, it, there's so much stuff, uh, but it, it's just impossible to. But one one thing that I did note in my vast research, I, you know, when we set this up, I'm like, oh, I have experience with Rich, you know. But then I realized how much I didn't know about you. And one thing that I found out a little nugget was that you went to the University of Miami. So you kind of have a tie to Florida as well. Oh, no, 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 no. Ooh, no. No, it's the original Miami. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, okay. Miami well, of Ohio. Okay. Oh, 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 okay. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Beachside <laughs> school that you all have in Miami, Florida. Didn't graduate. I partied a lot, and I actually ran a business full time at a rock and roll bar in college. So I never really graduated from Miami, even after four and a half years. And I graduated from small Quaker school, Wilmington College in Southern Ohio. All right, all right, Rich, what you just said, you must promise me to come back after you get moved and settled and talk about this 
what rock and roll bar that you did in Ohio? Actually, you have to do a-, a lot of my management and marketing stuff. It was like a, a phenomenal business education. We have to talk about that. That sounds like a really fun and educational uh, podcast. Is there anything that we need to know that I that we must know that I haven't given you the opportunity to tell us today? No, I'm still trying to rack my brain exactly what workshop you were in. What uh, um, compression planning? Okay. And yeah. Where were you when you, you went through that? Yeah, I was at a newspaper in Fort Worth. Okay, that's what I thought, and I mm-hmm. I was trying to remember who all I did it for in those days. Yeah, yeah, and then you and I worked together again on another management thing that for a newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The, the one I was in, stuff. yeah, was yeah, and it was great. I think it was like, I think it was held in Dallas, though I believe. Anyway, uh, right. I learned so much, and I have I have never forgotten it. It really did stick. So you're you're very effective in that because I could just like get up. I need to take a phone call, you know, and I didn't do that. <laughs> you're very very good. Thank you, Rich, for being here. I know your things are the weather and you have your move, and I you're very gracious to to take the time and to agree to to doing this podcast. So thank you so much. It's a wonderful break. I really can't get outside, and I'm tired of back in Boston, so it's been a nice break. <laughs> Thank you again. I want everyone, all my listeners, to stick around all the podcasts from behind. You want to rewind back to, you want to listen in on um, Chris Costello, Lou Costello's uh, daughter. Her podcast has already dropped, so rewind back there. You also want to listen in to Jeff Cause. If you didn't get a chance to listen to him, he is so interesting, and he's going to tell you all about his THC and CBD products, and he's the brother to the famed uh, musician Dave Cause. It was a wonderful podcast. So we, My guests for the last January February have been all so interesting, including mine today, Mr. Rich Highland. You can find everything on Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, our website, northpalmbeachlife.com, they're always there. We're on so many platforms, so just type in GG in the 561 and something will come up and you'll be able to listen to all these. As well, Gary, my partner in crime, makes a page for all of our great podcasters so you can see what they look like when you listen to the podcast. I, th- I threw that in there on Rich. He doesn't know. We're going to put his picture out there. <laughs> Don't forget to find us on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel and all these great podcasts. Not just mine. When I do them alone, they don't. But my great guests go out there on YouTube, so you can find all of them as well. Go to NorthPalmBeachLife.com. There's a whole lot of stuff there besides my podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Stay tuned.